Genesis chapter 40, we'll continue on with our story of, with God's story of Joseph. And uh, it's an interesting story. Joseph begins, he's a somewhat spoiled child. Uh, and it's not his fault. Uh, his dad favors him because he's his favorite wife's first son. Um, so there's a lot of cultural traditions there of obviously being the behor, being the first son of, your, of his favorite wife. And so there's a lot of favoritism playing in here, which creates a lot of dysfunctional family dynamics, which causes the boys, his brothers to sell him out, literally sell him into slavery. He goes into slavery. He actually works his way up through the ranks of an enemy nation, Egypt. Potiphar, he's the captain of the guard. And he becomes, Joseph does, that is, the steward of the household, which is a, a big deal. It's a big title. Out of sheer work ethic, like he's a Jew, he's a Hebrew, works his way up, and then he's accused of something he does not do, not just something he doesn't do, he's accused of doing something he doesn't do, but in a lot of ways accused of it because of he's a Hebrew, um, and because obviously he's doing a righteous thing. So suffering for doing right, Joseph is then put in prison. He should die under the laws of the land, but he does not, probably because Potiphar just honestly liked him so much, um, and allows him to go to prison instead of die. And in prison course we're always kind of waiting as readers of what's going to happen next and in prison something happens uh, with Joseph so we'll begin in Genesis chapter 40 verse 1 sometime later the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master the king of Egypt Pharaoh was angry with his two officials the chief cupbearer and the chief baker and put them in in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard it's probably Potiphar we don't know In the same prison where Joseph was confined, the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker, of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. Now, we remember there's been dreams before in this story, hasn't there? Joseph himself had a few dreams. They had the dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. At this time, in ancient times, dreams were very important. If you didn't have somebody to interpret them, dreams often were seen as um, a connection with the divine and it kind of could foretell your future. Now, uh, you know, we obviously don't believe in, in necessarily all that to a full extent, but uh, the Egyptians did, and they would have been very uh, distraught at having a dream that they could not interpret, especially if they're in prison for their crimes. They might be nervous that this dream might mean something bad for them, like, you know, a.k.a. death. So the chief, the, uh, let's see, yeah, we both had dreams in verse 8, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. And I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. 
I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in this dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given him a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, hey, I too had a dream. He heard that his buddy's getting his job back. He's like, all right, I'll give you my dream. Maybe I'll get my job back. This is what it means, Joseph. Sorry, the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation and said, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets. In verse 17, in the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. All right, same as before. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole and the birds will eat your flesh. It's not the same interpretation, is it? <laughs> Baker's like, darn it. Um, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief bearer and the chief baker in the presence of all the officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he, so that he once again put the cup in Pharaoh's hand but he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to them in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph, and he forgot him. I want to talk today, we're doing a, a two-part series, part one today, part two next week, on suffering. And part one today is the how of suffering. And so next week will be the why of suffering, which is much more difficult. So future Drew will deal with that one. But present Drew... <laughs> has a little bit easier time. The how of suffering in Genesis 40. You know, it's an interesting story. Joseph comes in he's, and he sees these guys and they're struggling. They both have the same dream. He says, one, hey, listen, three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. The other one, he's going to lift off your head. All right. But the idea is that it's interesting here. If you read past this, you can kind of miss some of the details of what's really going on. Now, we've had to slow down a few times and imagine what it would be like to, to be Joseph. And to continually, as a young man, to do the right thing. And sure, he's arrogant as a young man, but he's done nothing to warrant being sold into slavery. You know, hardly a sin that you can, you know, warrant that. Then he's told he's a, he tries to sleep with Potiphar's wife. That's a lie. It's a fabrication. It's a false testimony. And he's put in prison. But what's beautiful is that Joseph continues to do the right thing. And I think that's why he's such an inspiring character to us. It's because he continue, continues to do the right thing. And it's so difficult to be able to do that. Usually we like for circumstances to be just so before we can do or we feel like we can do the right thing. We talked last week about being able to do the right thing even when you don't feel like it. Which is really tough because we live in a world where the ultimate authority of your decision making is how you feel. How do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? How do you feel? Right? Everything's very... Now, nah, we... It's not a bad thing, but if it's the ultimate seat of authority in your decision-making, it's just going to be all kinds of crazy. It's going to be a place of depression, a place of high highs and really low lows. There's not much stability there. There's a couple of interesting and powerful points made by this story here, and there's three of them. And I'm going to go old school on you. I don't usually do three points. I'm going three points. And not only that, they all begin with the same letter. And not only that, both words begin with the same letters. I and C. It's pretty impressive. Thank you, Will. I mean, it made me feel good when you said that. So number one, what does Joseph do here? What does Joseph do in this scenario? He's in prison, and I love that these two guys are both dejected, uh, their faces downcast. 
Joseph says, why are you so sad? Um, and number one is we've got to invest compassion. Why do you look so sad today? I love that Joseph initiates this question. A lot of times we come from a movement uh, that is based in evangelism. It is the, the, our, our calling card. A lot of us are hit, sitting here today because of somebody, somebody interrupted our life, and probably in a, some of us in a rather bold, may, uh, maybe uncomfortable way, to be able to be here. A lot of us are very comfortable, and some of us are not, but a lot of us are very comfortable with, with, with cold contact evangelism, something that's like maybe the first thing out of your mouth to somebody is, would you want to come to church? Maybe you're in line at Starbucks and you ask the cashier, hey, do you go to church around here? Do you want to come to church? We just kind of go right for the church thing, which is not a bad thing. But I wonder how often do we ask somebody, how are you doing today? Right. Maybe it's easier sometimes to just say, you want to come to church? Okay, no. Okay, bye. Do you go to church anywhere? Oh, yeah, I go to church too. Bye. But to say, you know, maybe you see the same Starbucks barista every day. Hey, how are you doing today? How's your day? How's it going? And even if someone looks down, why, are, why do you look so sad today? Some, I found that it's, it's really tough sometimes to be able to just initiate that first question. But when you do, you've, you've begun, you've opened yourself up to be able to connect with that person. And I think a lot of times we can think of evangelism in the church just simply as, hey, do you, want, do you like church? Do you want to come to church? Okay, do you want to study the Bible? Okay, let's baptize them. But a lot of it's, it's, it's not about that. Evangelism is only evangelism if it's couched within the grand mission of God. And the grand mission of God, the meta narrative of the Bible, is one of compassion. And so we actually should be striving to have a heart of compassion and not just evangelism. Evangelism is a one minor offshoot of compassion. And so, but a lot of times I think when we suffer, when we go through pain, we, this is hard to do, especially when we're going through suffering. You know, we, pain is an interesting thing. We enter the world in pain, right? Uh, you understand that, right? If you've gone through that process, which I have not. You, we, our lives end in pain. Most of our life, we try avoiding pain. There's like millions of dollars, maybe billions, I don't know, in research to try to get rid of pain. Uh, I was reading a book recently, and they said, put this book down for five seconds and realize that the biblical authors wrote their challenges to deny yourself and carry your cross, and none of them have ever, had ever taken a painkiller or knew what chloroform was. Like, and I just took a moment and think about that. I thought, that is amazing. Like, we struggle so much with this idea of pain, avoiding pain, and the biblical authors, 99.9% of the world never had a chance to dilute pain like we do. But, we, but we're even probably more afraid of pain than they were. We can fear pain, and everything in life can be trying to avoid pain. Uh, but pain is, pain is part of it. Obviously, a lot of us know, you know, I, to quote one of my favorite movies, life is pain, highness. To say any different means you're selling something, right? Uh, it's from The Princess Bride. But life is pain. Pain is a part of life. And a lot of times, the most important parts of our life are filled with pain. And the only way we can actually know the power of love is to know the power of pain. I don't want to get too deep into that. It's pretty deep. But side note, our life, pain is a big part of our life. And we only really know pain when we're out of it. But the question is, because here, here we are, a lot of us are striving to be Christians, right? Or we are Christians or whatever, however you fall on that, that, that spectrum, fine. But what's the difference between this group? question I ask myself a lot, what's the difference between us and them, really? The people in the world. What is it? And I think the temptation sometimes when we suffer, the, first temptation, the first thing out the door when we suffer is our compassion. And Tim Keller says that uh, someone who's uh, wounded 
is someone who's self-absorbed. Someone who talks about themselves, only focused on themselves, is somebody who's been wounded in some way. Usually when we get wounded, we become self-absorbed. And we can't make decisions that are couched in the self-denial of Christ. Denying myself. That's a very unpopular message today, by the way. Christ, deny yourself and carry your cross. How do we even get there? Because usually when we go through suffering, there's two types of suffering. One is to suffer for doing good. Maybe you take a stand like Joseph did on sexual purity and people actually treat you poorly for it. Or you won't do something at work that everyone else is doing. You won't, you know, cut corners on taxes. You won't cut corners on different financial decisions so that your business can have a better bottom line. You won't do those things. So maybe you actually suffer. But maybe you actually just suffer kind of through the slings and arrows of this life, which is the tragedy of maybe losing a loved one. Some of us have. Or the tragedy of sickness or financial. There's all types of suffering, all types of tragedy that come on us that we actually don't. The rain falls on the righteous and the, and the wicked, amen. Like there are things that happen that just sort of happen. But how do we deal with that suffering is the great difference between us and them. But how do we do it? How can we actually do it? How do we not get self-absorbed or self-focused when we go through suffering? A few weeks ago, we had an addiction workshop, and Neil and Cheryl Rondorf showed this cycle, and it's, it's the addiction cycle. And when you give into an addiction, what is the first thing you do in the cycle is you isolate. You cut off everybody else. You isolate yourself. And I think the great thing about Joseph here is he realizes something that we have to also realize. And we forget, and it's really hard to know in the moment, but we, we, we have to remember it just like he did. Because there's these two guys that are in his life, and they probably deserve to be there, right? They offended Pharaoh. They deserve to be there, though Joseph has done nothing wrong. But they look sad, and Joseph realizes this. I might not be the only person that's suffering. That awareness is one of, that's a godly awareness. When we suffer and we just, Make everything about us. And amen, we got to grieve. I'm not saying don't grieve. I'm not going extremes here, okay? Grieve. Grieving is a process. I'm just saying, if we get self-absorbed in suffering and, and we don't realize that other people are also going through things, and then we only come to God when things are better financially and materially, or you get the iPhone update you needed, and you can come to church and praise God in the way you want to, we're really no different then. There's no power. There's no supernatural. There's no devotion in our life. And we can dress up a pig all you want, but at the end of the day, it's still a pig. And if we can dress ourselves up all we want, we are still not, we're not Christians if we don't live like Christians. And so this is vastly important. And I think it's why Joseph is so challenging to us, is how do we actually shine within suffering? And it's this simple awareness that we might not actually be the only person who's suffering. And Joseph looks across the room and he sees two men who are down. And he asks one simple question. Why do you look so sad today? Number one, churches, I want to challenge us to ask this question to people. Maybe not the so sad part. Why do you look so depressed all the time? Why do you look tired? Don't do that, okay? You look tired every day. Don't do that. Just, I think it's just simply, how are you doing today? How's your day going? You know, I started to do that more at, when I bump into people. Jenny and I go to a workout class at the Y. And there's a, 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 the, the instructor there, she's, she's awesome. She's from L.A., for like, like me, so we connect. And I'm the only guy in the class, so she picks on me a ton. And she's like, what, what are you doing? Work hard. So she gets on me, right? She, which is great. I need that. And I would just kind of go to class, and I would leave. And I would go to class, and I would leave. And I thought, how come I never, I got to talk to my instructor. So I just started saying, how's your day going before and after? And she's just like, oh, thanks for asking. It's been going well. It's been, and I'm getting ready for this hike. And psh, you're just overflow, right? And then she remembers me. 
She remembers me. Then we have a connection. Then we have a friendship. Like, it's, it's really easy, I think, just to say, how are you doing today? Just to simply ask people, you're people you see every day. There's bus drivers. There's teachers. We don't have to, like, let's go to the whole world. Let's go find strangers. Amen. You're, there's, like, 20 strangers you see every week. Let's start with them. Because we can go, you know, find people out there. But we, or we can also just really... Make sure that we live out the compassion of Christ and then those, everyone that we touch, we got to be prepared when people are hurting to have the answers. We can't, we can't be, and we, can, we got to have the answers for them. Now, that's probably what you're feeling. You're going, Drew, hold on. You're saying, I got to talk to people. You're saying, I got to talk to people. I'm an introvert. Huh. I'm an introvert. And I cannot talk to people. A lot of you are like, talk to people, and you already left. There are people, you know, Ryan Grubb's out there now talking to somebody. He's like, I'll do it. You know, Ryan's extrovert. He's got it. He's, he's great at it. He's wonderful. A lot of us are good at it, right? It's not about introvert. It's not about extrovert. Here's the thing. What does Joseph do? Why are you so down today? They go, we have a problem. He does, Joseph doesn't go, oh, I have a background in psychology. I can help you. <laughs> Joseph doesn't do that. I have a background. I majored in Egyptian divination, actually, at um, Jerusalem University back there before I was sold. Joseph says, what does he say? He says something awesome. Don't interpretations belong to God. Joseph makes a connection by asking a question. When you ask people questions, they will tell you their problems. Which is how we are. When someone tells you your problem, your temptation will be, I can't handle this. I, I don't know the answer to this. You just, we're going through what? What's going on in your marriage? I don't know. Okay, good talking, bye. <laughs> or we can go, oh my goodness, that sounds heavy. That sounds intense. I know for me, the only thing I've really found to help is to go to God. I go to a great church and I got this men's group on Thursdays. We just started meeting this brother's house. It really helps because we focus on God. We give credit to God. People will always have problems, and, we, and we, always, we, can, we can share our faith. I love that Joseph says, interpretations, don't those belong to God, but tell me your dream. We've got to identify credit. And that may not come up in the first conversation or the tenth. I don't know when it'll come up. But when you befriend people, you inevitably kind of get pulled into their life. And all of us are, are broken people. And we will see things in people's lives. And some of us, I think, have a hard time with befriending people in the world because they have such, to us, maybe obvious sin. And we just get so like, change all of it. Your marriage is messed up. Your parenting's messed up. You got Jesus. And we can get kind of maybe hypercritical, judgmental. But we just, we just love someone. And you know what? Listen to them. There was a study done recently on like, what is the most powerful thing that someone can do to help change your mind? And I think it was a political survey. Like, how do you get someone to change their political views? It's not by having a better political case, actually. It's by listening to them. People want to be listened to. That's probably why. Some political struggles in our country, not a lot of listening. So we've got to listen to people. How are you doing? I bet if you never told anybody about your life, but just asked them how they were doing, they would be like, man, that guy's awesome. You know, and it's easy to not do it. My neighbor walks his dog all the time, and I just think, man, I'm going to just go ask him how his day's going. Just ask that question. And let God do the rest. You don't have to have the answers. You won't. And in fact, it's good to say, hey man, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> you can say that. Hey, hey, I don't have all the answers. But don't interpretations belong to God. Um, and so number three, just like number one and two, number one, we talked about, oh, invest compassion. 
I and C, see that? Number two, we've got to identify credit. And then number three, what he does, initiate community. He says, remember me, Pharaoh. Uh, remember me to Pharaoh. And I love this. And I think there's something really powerful in our country that, that's, that's making us aware of how lonely we are. But there's something powerful in, hey, how are you doing? They respond, right? Well, it's just hard right now because blah, blah, blah. And you go, oh, man, amen. Is it okay if I pray for you? I, you know, you may not want me to or need me to, but I, if I can, or how can I help? Can I bring a meal? Can I, you know, can I just listen? Is there anything I can do? Well, sorry about that. It's heavy. Thanks for sharing. Whatever. I don't know. Like, God will give you the words to say, right? But you know what's great is don't just end there. Share with them. Hey, can you keep me in mind, too? Because I've actually been struggling with my job. Or actually, can you keep me in mind, too? Can you remember me? And you know what you're doing there is you're building community. Because now the person at your gym knows your name. They've shared their struggle. You've shared your struggle. I'm actually going through things right now. When we just come to people like, do you want to come to my church? I have the answers. It builds dependency. Oh, this is the church with all the answers. It also builds depression because people get baptized and they go, these people are jacked up. Like I, I thought they were perfect. If you begin with, I don't have the answers. I have Jesus and he's taught me a ton of things. And I've gone to a million classes on purity and parenting. And you know why I've gone to them? And I didn't really enjoy half of them. But you know why I went to them? Because of Jesus. I actually spend my week doing things I mostly don't want to do. You know why? Because of Jesus. People go, that's really weird. It is really weird. Thank you. I agree. I didn't used to do those things. It used to take me like six hours of prayer to get to midweek. But now, I'm, now every night I'm doing something for God. Like, we just got to open up our life to people. Share with people. Even if all you can think of, even if the only true thing, just be real. Think of one true thing to share with people. See, remember me. Because it's hard for me. It's hard for me right now. Now, this is difficult, one, two, three, because you know what it means? You've got to actually be aware of how you're doing. Right. It's hard. Some of you don't know how you're doing. How you doing? Fine, great, I'm great, I'm great, I'm good, I'm fine. But we've we got to actually know how we're doing. If we know how we're doing, you don't have to know everything, but a little, just to get a nugget, maybe, like 1%, maybe, just give me something. Something to be able to say, actually, can you keep me in mind? Because we're, we're going through a lot at the house right now because our youngest, she's sick. I don't, she's sick. Actually, oh yeah, our youngest is sick too. Plus, you know, I don't know, it's just hard to be a parent right now. I, I know it is, right? Just connect with people. People are lonely in our country. This is a crazy stat. I was blown away by this statistic recently. It came out just a couple months ago. Uh, well, a couple studies. One, number one is uh, from a, a study at BYU that says that loneliness and isolation can be as damaging to our health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And loneliness and, and, and Isolation, are, are, social isolation are massive in our world. The Economist found a wave of recent research showing high levels of loneliness. A recent Cigna survey revealed that nearly half of all Americans always or sometimes feel alone or left out. Half. That's 160 million people. You don't think you're working with some of them or in class with some of them or are some of them? Right? People in this room feel this. In, the, in, uh, in England, it's a third of the country. This is crazy. In Japan, there are more than half a million people under 40 who haven't left their house or interacted with anyone in the last six months. 
In Canada, the share of solo households is now 30, 30%. In the European Union, it's 35%. A third of all people live alone, are alone. We live in a world of where people are alone. And it's not going to go the other way soon. Family values aren't like, you know, having a resurgence quite yet. Maybe soon. Keep, you know, let's stay posted. But isolation, independence, I'm by myself. That's kind of where we're headed, right, as a country. And so you'd be amazed just how the one question of how you doing, how are you, how have you been, just opens up a conversation with somebody. And then, you know what it does? We as Christians, we are called in the Bible, whenever we feel like we're struggling because people aren't loving us, it's always the same command, have you noticed? But it's the hardest one to follow. When we're not, we're not, we're not getting love, what's the Bible tell us to do? Give. But I'm not getting give. I'm not receiving give. That's the antidote. So what's funny is the, the solution is the antidote. If we just give to others, and now if, you've, if you're asking your, your Starbucks barista and your gym workout person and your coworker and your neighbor how they're doing every week, and, the, and you're, you're praying for all four of them, who's on your mind? Who's on your heart? Who are you having over for dinner? Who's your friend? You got people. And they're going to they're gonna see Jesus. They're going to see God. I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to be just fine doing his thing. Don't worry about that. But I don't know, Drew, all the ins and outs of predestination. I, oh, doesn't matter. Ask someone how they're doing. We all can do that. And then we can be, begin to see the community of Christ be built. Then you see people who are like, man, I don't believe in God. And all that stuff in the Bible is kind of weird. But those people are just so friendly. And they're always asking me how I'm doing. Then you begin to see people, you know, it'll be five years when they're converted. Amen. Maybe 10 years. Maybe they're a 15-year conversion. Maybe they're a two-month conversion. I don't know. Conversion is not in our hands. Conversion is in the hands of God. And when we realize that, we'll be able to love without all the pressure and stress of trying to have all the answers. We can just initiate community. Remember me. The reality is, the sad part is, I think that for a lot of us, we can feel we have a lot of excuses when it comes to this stuff. And I, I do too. I can feel like, oh man, Drew, okay, you're saying a Christian, we, when we're suffering, we can't feel our emotions. We're just going to have to stuff it deep down and we're going to have to grin and bear it. We're going to be robots. That's what you want. You want robots? No. We can, we've got to deal with our emotions. But there's a balance between being, realizing your emotion but also doing the right thing. Jesus said, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Let's go pray. He realized how he felt and in light of how he felt said, can you please pray with me? Did the right thing. And he said, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I got to go die now. He didn't let his feelings control him. He was aware of them, but he didn't let it control him. We, we got to be aware of our feelings, but we can't be enslaved to our feelings. Yeah. We can't also be quick to say, I can help you. I can help you. I have the answer. We don't. And you don't want to set yourself up to be eight people dependent on you. Maybe it makes you feel good. Like, oh, yeah, they're all dependent on me. I'm something. You don't have the answers for them. And no matter what technique you read in a book recently or what new podcast you heard, you do not, you cannot be Jesus for these people. You simply can't. But we can, we can say to them, isn't God the interpreter of dreams? Can't God help you? God can help you. I'm here, to, I'm here to be your friend, be your brother. I'll do all I can. Tell me your dream. But God can help you out. It's not about our personality. It's not about our technique. But Drew, I'm socially awkward. That's okay. I, don't, I, I think we all kind of are. I don't know like, what that 
barometer is. I think we're all pretty weird. There's, go reach out to socially awkward people. Connect on that. Let that be a point of connection with you. We're both weird. Let's, let's, let's talk about it. Go for that. It's not about our technique. You know, it's not about our smoothness. Gotta be smooth. It's not about, I'm an extrovert, I'm an introvert. I don't know which one Jesus was. I get the sense he probably was a little bit of both, considering he was like Yahweh in the flesh. It doesn't matter. Or the last one is, I'm waiting to show compassion to people for when I'm not suffering anymore. Or I'm waiting to be compassionate until when I don't feel pain anymore. I think the reality is, is that when God gives us pain, he's actually giving us a way to reach out to people. Don't waste what you're going through. Don't waste it. Say, man, I'm struggling right now because even though I just got baptized recently, I am finding it really, really difficult to be sexually pure. That can be a source of shame for a lot of people. And they go, oh, yeah, like, is that something you guys talk about? One of the things I'm realizing more and more at churches, there's a lot of great churches out there and and their doctrine is really solid. It's, It's great. One of the things I realize when I meet people is they say, we don't ever talk about sin, though. We don't talk about it. You guys talk about sex with the men? Yeah, uh, yes, because the world does about 1,400 times a day. We've got to talk about it with men. We've got to talk about how to be pure. Yeah. You guys talk about, yes, we talk about sin. We talk about drugs. We talk about even purity in our mind. But you didn't do anything. But it's in my mind. Like We've we got to talk about it. We've got to talk about those things. But if we're just waiting until we're perfect to share our faith, then all we're doing is just like, now I can, we're just perpetuating a dysfunctional paradigm. Let's all just be Christians when we're perfect. No, but if people know we struggle, I love, it was a great welcome today. You could see the young man up there. He was physically uncomfortable. He kept adjusting his collar. His voice was going up and down. But it, was, it wasn't powerful so much. I think it, the forgiveness is powerful, but you could tell that he really meant it. He was struggling with this. And I bet deep down he didn't even really want to. But he did what was right. You know, we can't wait till we're perfect or in a position. When we, when we have something we're struggling with, let's share it with people. And amen, let's have boundaries and let's be wise and don't give everybody. You, know, you guys know all that, right? I don't have to walk through every caveat. We understand that we got to be wise with those things. But you know what's powerful about this passage? I want to close out with this. It's challenging. Hop over to Luke uh, 23. Joseph is in prison. Two men. One is helped, one is not. But they both deserve to be there. One is restored to his position, the other is given a horrifying death. But both deserve to be there. And Joseph asks a simple question. He says, simply remember me. And I couldn't help think throughout the story of Joseph about how much, about, like, how much of a future uh, type of Jesus he is. And how Jesus does so much for us. And all he asks simply is, remember me. At the, at the Last Supper, when he sits down with the apostles, what does he say? Take this bread, break it, do this in remembrance of me. Take this juice, drink it, do this in remembrance of me. When he, when he rises from the dead and he goes back to the apostles, what does he say? Do you remember me? Do you recognize me? It's me, look, I have holes. Like, you, they still couldn't remember him. Like no matter how much he did, and he tried so much, and I just think how, how we are the cupbearer. We are the baker. We deserve that ultimate death, but we struggle to remember Jesus. Throughout our day, we go days without thinking about him. 
Right now, you're maybe daydreaming not thinking about him. We go weeks without thinking about him. And when we do think about him, is it about him or how he can help us? Is it about the real Jesus or is it about our Jesus? And we, we are the cupbearer. Jesus does these incredible things for us. He rescues us from prison. And two years go by and we can read this passage and go, that's so selfish. Joseph helped him. How can the cupbearer forget him? How? But then we go and do it every day. It's easy for us to be like, that guy's awful, but we forget Jesus. We choose not to have quiet times. We choose not to speak up about Jesus among, within our lives. We choose not to come to midweek or, or church or PTP or Devo. We choose not to show forgiveness. We choose not to mention Jesus. We forget him in our actions. We forget him. And I think of this passage in, in Luke 23, verse 32. It says, two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. This is Jesus and the cross. When they came to the place called the place of the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Uh, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you know what is so inspiring, and I hope it changes your day and changes your life, is that even though we forget Jesus all the time, he does not forget us. He doesn't. And some of us are like that first robber, murderer, who are like, Jesus, if you really are God, give me something here. But we got to fight to be like the other one who says, listen, we deserve death. Jesus, he didn't deserve that. He didn't deserve it. But we, get, we have a God who doesn't forget us. And you know what is beautiful is instead of leaving here today of like, all right, everyone, work harder to remember Jesus. It's not the, it's not the point. The point is, is that we have a God who loves us so much that he, he, he died for us on the cross. He took our death. He forgave us. And he forgave people who were putting nails in his hand at the time. Not only that, but that even though we are still, our transformation is not yet complete. We're still broken people. We still have a Jesus who remembers us. He remembers us. When we pray, Romans says that Jesus intercedes for us and tells God what we're trying to say. And we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we go through our day, the Holy Spirit strengthens us, comforts us, is there for us. He walks with us. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, go make disciples, baptize them. And guess what? I am with you to the very end of the age. The most powerful thing Jesus did for us was be with us and is be with us. And I want to encourage you every day this week, I want you to start your day 
Don't start your day with slowing down. Take a few minutes for goodness sakes in our world where you can't do it. Take minutes. Take a breath. Read scripture and remember him. And remember that he hasn't forgotten us. Remember that he died for us, knowing all he knows about us. And I believe that if that this church, we can look around and see the empty chairs and a lot, you guys are incredible disciples. I'm proud of all of you. You guys are working every week to strive to show, show God in this city. But when Jesus talks to the disciples in Matthew 5, the apostles, he says, you know how you'll stand out to the world? He calls them a, a, a light on a hill, a light in darkness. You know how you'll be a light in darkness? And Israel wants to go, yeah, because we're Israel. We're your favorite son. We're your chosen people, your royal nation. And Jesus goes, uh, yeah, okay, no. Um, you'll stand out to the world because blessed are those who persecute them. Blessed are those who are righteous even when they're persecuted. Blessed are those who do right to those who do evil against them. You'll stand out to the world when you do right even in the midst of suffering. You'll stand out to the world when you do right even in the midst of pain. And to put a bow on it, my vision, I believe God's vision for Charlottesville is not just another church with, oh, I really like the services. Not another church where it's like, man, the people are, you know, people that are really similar to me. Or I, they really kind of understand my life stage or my scenario. But I believe that God wants us to be a city on a hill, a light and darkness here in Charlottesville by pulling people into this community. It would be awesome if we had 20, 30, 40 people here who are not Christians, but simply coming to see what this whole thing is about. Like this person keeps being nice to me and, they, and I got to go see what it's about. And I got to go check it out to build a community that we have 90 strong disciples, but 50 or 60 or 70 people who are not, haven't chosen to be a disciple yet, but are still coming to be able to be part and see what this is all about to initiate community. The story is not over. We will talk about the why of suffering next week. But I think before we talk about the why, it's good to talk about the how. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Seth Mitchell, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, you can go to blueridge.church or join us at Burnley Moran Elementary School at 7 p.m. Wednesdays or 10.30 a.m. Sundays in Charlottesville, Virginia. Thanks for tuning in and see you next time.